Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 7, these are God's words. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what Yahweh spoke, saying, By those who come near me I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which Yahweh has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of Yahweh is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Nadab and Abihu were the right men. They were two of the five in all of Israel who could offer the incense unto the Lord. They were the right men from the right family. Uh, They each had uh, their censer, their little shovel for the incense and the fire that had been designed by God and been formed by spirit-sustained skill, Holy Spirit-sustained skill. It was the right shovel. It was the right day. Uh, This, they had been properly ordained now to the priesthood, having gone through the seven-day ordination priesthood, ordination of the priesthood, and this was the uh, eighth day, same day as in chapter 9, where uh, it is shown that God's way of coming to him works, and God's way of coming to him enables man to approach with atonement and blessing. It was probably even the right incense, that which was so devoted to the public worship of God that no other incense could be made like it. But according to verse 1, it was the wrong fire. It was strange fire. And it's answered by God with consuming fire. Uh, And so we uh, want to know what made the difference. We want to avoid coming to God in the way that Nadab and Abihu did. If it is possible to get so much right, but just get a little bit wrong, and the worship go from being accepted by God to bring us near with the intensity of his glory uh, being unto our blessing, uh, if just if one small thing can change, and it goes from the intensity of his glory being unto our blessing to the intensity of his glory being unto our destruction and our curse, 
We want to know what has gone wrong so that we don't come making the same sort of error. And so what we see in this passage is that uncommanded worship is foreign. Uncommanded worship deserves fire. And uncommanded worship forsakes the gospel or disobeys the gospel. Uh, as we will see the language in Second Thessalonians 1. But it may ha- help if we use the three Fs. Foreign, fire, and forsakes. First, uh, uncommanded worship is foreign. They offered, verse 1 says, profane fire before Yahweh. Other translations say strange fire. It's the same word from which you get stranger or foreigner. Uh, it was not the fire that was from the Lord. It was not the familiar fire, the appointed fire. It was foreign fire, not from the Lord himself. It doesn't belong uh, here. Uh, And therefore it fails to regard him as holy. If God is holy, if he is devoted to himself, then that which is used in his worship, that which comes near as worship, needs to be that which he has consecrated to himself. Those are the things that are holy. But if we come with something strange that God has not consecrated to himself, then our worship is foreign to him. And this is dangerous, not just because it's strange and unusual, but because the foreign worship is not holy. And so he says in verse 3, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And so we must give the holy God his holy worship. Not foreign worship. Not something other than what he has consecrated to himself. And we can see the reinforcement of this uh, statement in verse 3, that it does not regard him as holy. With the, com- with the comment at the end of verse 1, that the strange fire, the, uh, the great strangeness of it, the great profanity of it, and that's why the, the translation profane is okay in verse 1, although not quite as literal, the great profanity of it is, it was worship which he had not commanded. And so Nadab and Abihu put their ideas in the place of God's commandments. And they put their sincerity, their intentions, in the place of what God desired. They did not treat God as holy. So the first problem with uncommanded worship is that it is foreign. Uh, If we have uh, some uh, other form of music than congregational song, you know, the solo music that is in so many of the churches, uh, or a performance music in which it's not the congregation, but some uh, group, however small or large, uh, up front, or something other uh, than the the music making that God has appointed, whether that which he had appointed for the temple, which was Levitical voices, Levitical choir, and... Uh, Levitical instrument, but now there are no Levites. 
So you can't go to the temple worship and say, here's what God appointed for the temple. And uh, take uh, Levitical choirs and, and instruments that were furnishings of the temple and import them into New Testament worship any more than we would import an altar or uh, incense. Maybe that's not a good example because there are those who try to import incense. And there are even those who refer to the front of the worship room as the altar. Uh, and so we see how easily idolatry creeps in. We do not replace the sermon with a drama or a film or uh, any sort of thing, however well-intended or cleverly devised, that is not the Lord's servant preaching as the Lord's ambassador through whom the Lord himself authoritatively addresses his people in the worship today when you hear his voice. Uh, and the, the warning not to refuse him who speaks from heaven uh, in the book of Hebrews. We do not add sacraments that the Lord has uh, not commanded. You don't add the washing of feet uh, to the public worship, however uh, sincerely meant or devised, cleverly devised by men. It's foreign. Anything that we invent, we might be the right people, we might be in the right place, we might have had the right preparation, we might have all of these things that Nadab and Abihu had. And yet, if we bring something other than what God has devoted to himself, consecrated to himself, declared as his holy worship, if we don't bring the holy God, his holy worship, we bring worship that is foreign. And we disregard him as holy. But he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. So uncommanded worship is foreign. In the second place, we see that uncommanded worship deserves fire. Verse 2, fire went out from Yahweh and devoured them. Uh, and then verse uh, 6, what they are especially to bewail is the burning which Yahweh has kindled. And so the sacrifices were no longer accepted on their behalf. There is, There was the, the fire by which uh, the sacrifices were accepted on their behalf as their substitutes. And you remember with the, with the substitute accepted as your behalf, uh, the fire of the Lord on his altar would convert them to smoke and you could ascend to the Lord. And so the glory of the Lord, uh, represented by the fire, was a means by which he brought you near, was a means by which he blessed you in the substitute that he has provided. But if we come in our way instead of his way, then we're saying, no thank you to your way, which includes those substitutes. But there is still the fire of the glory of the Lord. And so uncommanded worship, deserves God's curse. You know, we mean it so ever so well, but it's not just foreign, it deserves fire. And so the fire of Yahweh comes out, but it doesn't go to the altar and burn up sacrifices in their place. The fire comes out from before Yahweh and devours them. Verse 2. Uncommanded worship deserves fire. It comes without a substitute. Here is the tabernacle in which is the Holy of Holies, in which is the Ark 
upon which is the mercy seat. And there Yahweh is enthroned upon the cherubim. There he makes the greatest display, the great display of his presence in all the earth, in all the creation. And within what he has designed, he shows mercy to his people. But now the mercy seat, the ark, the holy of holies, the tabernacle, none of these mediate for them. None of these help them. The fire comes out from before Yahweh. Even the mercy of God would not save them because they were not coming in the way that was provided by God. He must be regarded as holy. And so we cannot bring that uncommanded worship that is foreign. And he will be glorified. The fire of his glory will burn. And if it's not burning to bring us near by way of substitute, then it will burn against us in wrath and curse. Notice that this is a supernatural fire of judgment. How do we see the supernatural nature? Well, first of all, it comes from before Yahweh or from Yahweh himself, actually. Verse 2, fire went out from Yahweh. But second of all, it's supernatural fire uh, of the sort that the Lord had hinted at at the burning bush. You remember the fire and the bush was not consumed. Well, this fire consumes Nadab and Abihu, but what doesn't it consume if you look at verse 5? It doesn't consume their tunics. Nadab and Abihu are incinerated, but their tunics can still carry their bodies outside of the camp. This was a, a fire that burned only and specifically against them. It was the fire of the wrath of God. And so it is a fire that is to be mourned. God commands uh, and providentially arranges that the whole of Israel bewails the burning which Yahweh has kindled. Uh, Aaron, uh, Eleazar, Ithamar, uh, they can't mourn. Uh, in mourning, you would uh, put ashes on your head, tear your clothes. The problem is the priests have holy hats and Aaron has the high priest's turban and they have their holy garments and Aaron has the high priest's robe. You can't remove those in the, in the, the tabernacle and they aren't allowed to leave the tabernacle. They're still in the eighth day of their anointing. They, they have to stay there. And so the Lord has providentially arranged that they can't carry the bodies out. Aaron's cousins have to come and carry the body, bodies out. They can't do the mourning. God commands that the whole church mourn and grieve. He providentially calls the whole of Israel to bewail the burning which Yahweh has kindled. And when we see the wrath of God coming against his church for centuries of degrading worship, increasingly foreign worship, increasingly fire-deserving worship. What he calls us to is not a haughty spirit. He doesn't say that the rest of Israel are to despise the memory 
of Nadab and Abihu, and to feel self-righteous in themselves because they did not offer the strange fire. But he calls us to grieve. He calls us to mourn. God has been disregarded as holy. God's holiness has been disregarded. God's glory has been has been shown not in blessing, but in curse. And so it's a cause for mourning and grieving. And if we learned to mourn that which our flesh would celebrate, right? The churches are full of foreign fire deserving worship, aren't they? And yet it is celebrated. And one of the first things we need to do is to see how God has been cursing us, to see the weak theological state of the church, to see the spiritually lifeless state of the church in which man has to has to ape, has to pretend real spiritual life by his frenzy of activity and stirred up emotions, to see the morally degraded state of the church in which we do not love and follow God's law with joy and devotion to him in the life in which we are increasingly worldly and self-satisfied. And we ourselves in our family, led by me, God, forgive me and help me to repent, are very easily satisfied by earthly things, by worldly things. And this is something that we have in common with our age in the churches. We see all those things. We see um, we see God's right and just judgments that have come upon his church for centuries now of degrading, increasingly foreign, increasingly fire-deserving worship. And the first step is to mourn, is to grieve. Now, why is this uncommanded worship so foreign and so fire-deserving? Well, as verse 3 has told us, in being foreign, it disregards God as holy. And in being fire-deserving, it um, <coughs> does not... Im- in being fire-deserving, it does not embrace the... Uh, display of his glory in saving us, and yet he must be glorified. And if his glory is not going to be displayed in saving us, then it will be displayed in cursing us. But it is especially because uncommanded worship forsakes the gospel. In the course of the book of Leviticus, here God has provided the way, and they forsake the way that God has provided. They disobey the gospel. The way, of course, is Jesus. It wasn't a magical tent with magical bulls and magical goats and magical blood and magical fire. No, all of these things were God's provision by which they looked to Christ and by which he made display of Christ in the creation in which he delighted in his son. Uncommanded worship forsakes the gospel. And this is the most frightening thing. Because that uh, which happens in the public worship can happen um, in the life. If we can come to God over and over again in ways that we have devised, using the name uh, of Jesus, uh, and yet not coming uh, in submission to how God says Jesus mediates our worship, then how are we to know that we aren't 
with our life as a whole, coming to God, using the name of Jesus, but not coming by resting in him as our life, not coming by hoping in him as our substitute righteousness, uh, as uh, our mediator, as our covenant head, as our savior. Uncommended worship forsakes the gospel. Listen to the uh, the similarity uh, as Second Thessalonians 1 talks about the last day. Uh, he's talking to persecuted Thessalonians and he's saying it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. We pick up in verse 7 and to give you who are troubled rest to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and so in flaming fire and who are foreign, they do not know God. How do, how do we know they do not know God? And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everyone is going to be ultimately at the last in the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. And the great difference is whether it's going to be an everlasting destruction that comes from the flaming fire of his glory, or whether having come through Christ, not being foreign, coming through the Lord Jesus, his glory is unto our blessing. When he comes in that day, verse 10, to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God must be glorified, and he will be in his Son. At the last, everyone will draw near to God in his glory. Particularly his glory is displayed in, expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great blessing for those who are in him, but it is a great curse for those who are foreign, because they have not obeyed the gospel. And so we can see Second Thessalonians 1, Leviticus 10, the great offense of the uncommanded worship is that it doesn't come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uncommanded worship is foreign. It deserves fire. It forsakes the gospel. It comes without Christ. Each one of you will be in God's in the immediate presence of God's glory forever. And you will either be there in Christ, glorified like him, as hard as that is to believe. And we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to stir up our faith that we can believe we will be glorified like Jesus so that God's glory will be unto our blessing and magnified and praised even by what he has done in us. 
Each one of you will be in the presence of God's glory forever, either like that or as an object of his fiery wrath, one for whom the glory of God is unendurable but inescapable forever. Coming in the way that he has commanded is to come through Christ. So one of the great benefits to us of the public worship is that week by week, as we give the holy God his own holy worship, which we know comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, he trains our hearts to embrace his gospel and come to him in the way that he has provided, abandoning and forsaking anything that comes from us. And even this way of coming to him in the public worship reinforces in our hearts coming to him with our life in the way that he has provided, which is his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that way public worship is rehearsal for the last day, for eternity. May the Lord give us to regard him as holy and so that his glory will be unto our everlasting blessing because we have come through the Lord Jesus Christ as provided in the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for your gospel. How we thank you for your Son, whom you have given to us and through whom we can come to you. And we pray that you would give us to mourn over the state of the worship in the churches, but that you'd give us to rejoice over your provision of blessing and glory forever in the Lord Jesus, and that you would give us to come rejoicing week by week, to come in the way that you have provided, and in abandoning the way that man has devised, so that we may practice and have our hearts trained and shaped, strengthened in saving faith. We thank you that it is not the faith, but the Savior who saves us. And so we commit ourselves into your care. We throw ourselves upon your mercy, depend upon your strength, your spirit. Help us, O Lord. Help your church, O Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.